Um, I was born in 1985. 1985. What's going on? So, so it's, we can heckle this whole time? Um, 1985, so that means um, I grew up in the 90s. Um, that's the time period I grew up in. Um, and because I grew up in the 90s, I feel like I have a very distinct perspective on technology because technology has been changing forever. But the biggest technological shift that we have ever seen occurred right when I was going from childhood to adulthood, from uh, the internet, which was invented in 1991, but it wasn't really popular until 1995, 96, is where it started to really boom. And then cell phones were around way before this, but in the early 2000s when cell phones came out. So I was a, a teenager going into an adulthood. So I remember a time before cell phones, before the internet, and I also was at the prime age where um, I knew how all that stuff worked because I was at the perfect age for that. Um, so I was really right there in the midst of all of it. So this week, I was thinking back on how technology has changed so much just in my life and in all of our lives. And here's the things I remembered. I remember starting with VHS tapes. You guys remember those? I would go to, uh, our family would go to the Disney store. We would get a movie, and it would always come with a poster, VHS, and we had a shelf full of all these uh, VHS tapes. Um, some of you are too young. You don't even know what that is. Just look it up, the VHS tape. Um, and then um, if you had if some of the 90s kids, the, the Nickelodeon VHS tapes were orange. You guys remember those? Those are the best ones. So we had that. And then from VHS, we went to DVDs. And I got really into DVDs. Like, I would go to um, Movie Stop and just buy DVDs, like a lot of different DVDs. Now, we don't have DVDs anymore, really. We have streaming. I, have a, I still have a shelf at my house full of all of our DVDs. And the only purpose of those DVDs is to collect all the dust in our house. We never touch it. We never do anything with it. We just stream. In fact, if a movie, this is how bad it's gotten. If I want to watch a movie, and it's not free on any of the streaming devices, but I have the DVD downstairs, I'd rather pay $3 to rent it than go downstairs and figure out how a DVD player works. I don't even know how it works anymore. I remember going to Blockbuster to rent a movie. You guys remember the Blockbuster card? I, back when I was a kid, a perfect Friday night was us going to Pizza Hut, and then we would go to Blockbuster right next door, because where we lived in Elk Ridge was right next door, and um, we would spend an hour there looking for a movie we wanted to watch, and you would have the, the front cover, which would be the picture of it, but that's not the tape. You don't want to get that one, because the tape is behind that, because they don't want to give you all the front covers, and you would take that sucker, and then, I oh mean, I love doing that. So I remember doing that, and then I remember eventually going to Redbox, which I know is still a thing, but you have not gone to Redbox in a while. So Redbox is a way you can do that, and now we just stream or rent things on our TV. I remember having um, cassette tapes to listen to music in the car, and then from cassette tapes, I went to CDs, but I didn't have a CD player in my car, so what did you do? You got your Walkman with a tape thing you put in there, and you held that Walkman on your leg, hoping you don't hit a bump, because then that sucker's skipping, right? So that, I remember doing that, and then eventually I got a CD player. Then I got an iPod. Remember those? iPods were awesome, with the little circle, and you all this music on there. It was like, it changed everything. Now I just stream all my music on my phone. Um, I remember the first time I got on the internet. It was dial-up internet. You could not be on the phone at the time because if you were on the phone, we we're going to kick you off. It took about 30 seconds to a minute to two minutes just to get on the internet, let alone load any kind of pages of any sort. Now, today, if YouTube takes more than five seconds to load, I don't watch that video. Because like, I'm not, I don't have time for that. Um, I remember my first social media was AOL It's a Messenger. Drummer Boy 2385 was my, was my aim. And then I went to MySpace, and MySpace would destroy friendships because, um, if you remember MySpace, you had a top eight. 
that you could change. And that top eight was your closest friend. So if I ever had a girlfriend, I had her as number one because I had to, and then I had all the rest of my friends. And I had a friend who would change his, his top eight daily, like depending on how you interacted with him. So every once in a while I'd check, be like, I went down to eight? What did I do this week? I didn't even see him. But I remember MySpace, and then eventually I got on Facebook, and I don't know if you knew this, um, but you can only get on Facebook initially if you were a college student. You had to have a college student email, okay? So my CCBC email, I only used it just to get on Facebook, and now we have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, all those things. I remember um, writing everyone's home number down and calling their house. I remember when you didn't have to use the area code, where you just dial the, the seven numbers, and now, I, and then I eventually got a cell phone, my first cell phone, when I graduated high school in 2003. And it was one of those razor flip ones. You guys, anyone else have those razor ones? And now it's like home numbers. Who even has a home number? The, the cable, Comcast and Verizon just give it to you and you're like, I don't want it. Like, you have to have it in order to have our services. Like, okay, we'll take it. Technology has completely changed every aspect of our lives. Every aspect of our lives. Yet, whenever I get ready to do a series, this is our second series we've ever done specifically about technology and specifically about screens. Um, whenever we do a series like this, I always get this feedback, and I got it a little bit this week. I always get the feedback of, why are we doing this? Like, why are we doing a whole series on screens and technology and social media? What, what's the point? And I get it. Most of the time, we think about this idea of technology and screens, and we think, what in the world can this book, the Bible, teach us about technology? Because this stuff was not around when this was written. What in the world can we learn in the Bible about technology? And I understand that question. But that question is exactly why I think this is an important series to talk about. Because one, number one, technology is everywhere, it has changed everything, and it's never going away. We are past the point. It's, it's part of our life now, it is part of our culture now, and it's only going to get more and more and more. It is everywhere. Number one. Number two, the Bible may not specifically talk about a topic like technology, but the truth we find in this Bible should penetrate every aspect of our life. Every aspect of it. The truth we find in here should penetrate every aspect of our life. The Bible gives us wisdom for the best way to live. And just because it doesn't talk about how much we should look at our phones or how much we should stream, it just because I talk about that specifically doesn't mean that the wisdom from God's Word cannot speak into that area. There's a verse in First Chronicles chapter 12 that says, the leaders of the Israelites understood the times and the best course to take Israel. And I think that should be us, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus in the room. That we should understand the times and the best way to proceed as a follower of Jesus. Because all of us, whether we admit it or not, are a byproduct to a certain extent of the times that we live in. We are all born at a certain time, and because of the culture around us, and because of where we live, because of what has been around us, we are all a byproduct of what's around us. That isn't necessarily a good thing, and it isn't necessarily a bad thing. It just is what it is. And here's um, what it means and uh, an important question that we should all be asking in every aspect of our life is this. How much of the culture is influencing how I live? It's a question we should be asking about every aspect of our life. How much of the culture is influencing how I live? Because I have found, I've been in church world for a long time, there are two extremes of this question that a lot of times we fall into. Extreme number one is, whatever culture gives me, I'm taken. I'm, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I look exactly the way culture tells me to look. I watch every movie. I listen to all the music. I listen to every, I take it all in. I consume it all. I don't look any different from anyone else. 
because I am part of culture. That's one extreme. The other extreme is the complete opposite, that I'm going to push culture as far away as possible, that culture is my enemy. I'm going to be in a bubble. I'm only going to listen to Christian music. I'm only going to watch Christian shows. I'm only going to celebrate Christian things. I'm never going to be around anyone in that culture because the culture is scary and it's going to hurt me. I need to be as far away from that as possible. If that's culture, I'm as far away over here as possible. Those are the two extremes, two extremes that a lot of times we fall into. Both extremes are wrong. Both extremes are not how we should live. We should thoughtfully be engaging culture. Theologian Karl Barth said this 150 years ago, so it's, but I, see, I believe it still applies. It'll be up on the screen. It says, take your Bible and take your newspaper and read both, but interpret newspapers from your Bible. Some of you in the room are saying, what's a newspaper? So let me change the quote for you, okay? This is, I'll update it for you for, for now. Take your Bible or your Bible app and take your screen and look at both, but interpret what you see on your screen from your Bible. See, this is where our problem starts to come into play. Our screens have become more than just something we have. Our screens, whether it's our iPhones or the iPad I'm preaching from or the TVs we watch at home or our computers, whatever it is, has become more than just a nice thing that helps us in life. Our screens very often have become our friend when we're lonely. Our screens have become a personal assistant when we need help. Our screens have become a counselor when we're depressed. For some of us, our screens have become our boss that we just listen to. Whenever it tells us to check it, whatever it tells us to do, we do it. So let me give you some stats about technology and screens, social media, that I don't think is going to surprise you um, at all, but you will probably be a little horrified when you hear some of these stats as I was. Here's some stats that I looked up this week. The average person touches their phone 2,617 times a day. 2,617 times a day. The average person spends two and a half hours on social media a day. Two and a half hours. Which, I did this math for you, and I'm not very smart. This math could be wrong. Someone check it for me. 912 and a half hours a year. Which means, out of the whole year, 38 of your days are fully devoted to your social media. That's average. It gets worse. The average young adult spends three hours a day, which is almost 46 days of the entire year. And then the average kid and teen, they spend between five and seven and a half hours every single day, which means in the entire year, 114 days are solely given to social media. That's the average. The average person streams eight hours of content a day, eight hours, which is 2,920 or 122 days of the year. There are 5.6 billion Google searches a year, or 63,000 Google searches per second. In fact, 22 years ago, the word Google wasn't a word. And now, it's a verb. You Google something, right? You don't know the answer? You Google it, right? There is a new modern-day phenomenon. It's called phantom vibration syndrome. You know what this is? That's when you think your phone is vibrating in your pocket, and it's not. All of a sudden, you feel your, you feel your leg vibrating. It's like, oh, i got to check my phone. And it's not even vibrating. It's phantom vibration syndrome that some of us go through. Technology has advanced so quickly. And I'm not here to tell you that it's bad. It's not all bad. I mean, I use my GPS on my phone to get places. I don't, I don't even know how to use a map at this point. I just use Waze or my GPS. That's how I do it. Um, my, I have a fitness app on my phone, and it ha I have a water tracker, so it helps me stay healthy, like, it will make, it'll tell you, hey, you did no working out today. I'm like, oh, okay, sorry, judgmental about 
and then I'll track my water to make sure I drink enough water because I never drink enough water. So I, I track that. It helps me become healthy. At home, we have an Alexa. And we'll ask Alexa what the weather is. The first thing my kids do when they get up is they go to Alexa and say, Alexa, what's the weather today? And we'll tell them, then they'll go get dressed. Another thing we do with the Alexa is we tell the Alexa our grocery list. Hey, put this on the shopping list. And then when we're at the grocery store, we have an app that we just pull it up and we look at our grocery list. So if I'm there and I say, Erica, check to make sure we don't have anything else, she'll just add it and I'll see it pop up. It's great. It's awesome. Um, streaming movies is so much better than DVDs and VHSs. It's awesome how, many, how you can stream movies. It's great. Without technology, here's what I found too, during our COVID season, when we weren't mean as a church, we would, it would have been possible for us to continue to be a church during that time. Technology made it possible for us to continue to do church from our house. Tech, technology made it possible for us to do Zoom meetings so our groups could keep meeting. Technology, because of technology, during COVID season, some of you started coming to church during that time. You've never been here before, and you start watching online, and eventually started coming here. Without technology, who knows what we would have done during COVID? Technology is not a bad thing. And on top of that, I don't think, and I don't believe that the people who are innovating all of our technology and social media, I don't think that most of them have ill intentions. I think most of them are trying to make our lives better. But what we have seen is that people have created things, and they've had results that we never thought would happen. I'll give you an example. There's a documentary I highly recommend you watch called The Social Dilemma. It's on Netflix. And watch the documentary. It's all about kind of social media, what it's done to our culture. And they interviewed the guy who created the like button on Instagram. So, you know, when you heart something, you like something. That, they, they interviewed that guy. He said his goal when he created that was to put some positivity into Instagram, that there was becoming a very toxic place. So, like, let's do this so people can say, hey, I like this and, like, show some support and, and do that. Great goal. It was a great idea. But then he said, I didn't know that what would happen is teenage girls would post pictures, and if they didn't get enough likes, they would take it down, or they would get depressed, or they'd become suicidal, and girls would kill themselves if they didn't get enough likes on a picture. I didn't know that would happen. I was just trying to put some positivity into the world. Since the rise of screens and social media, we have seen a rise in anxiety and a rise of depression. Studies have shown that at the minimum, at the minimum, screens have contributed it could possibly be the main cause for that rise. 2018, the Business Insider posted an article, and here's the article title. It says, Silicon Valley parents are raising their kids tech-free, and that should be a red flag. That's the whole title. The very people that are creating the screens and the technology that we all use are not allowing their kids to be on it. They're not allowing them on it. And the article goes on to say, um, I had to read some cliff notes because the Business Insider wanted me to pay for it. I wasn't paying for that, it, that subscription. I just wanted to read it. Their goal, when the, the people in Silicon Valley, their goal is to make money. That's their goal. We understand that. Like, it's, that's just how it is. And the more money they make deter is determined by how much you're on it. So the more you're on it, the more money they make. And what these tech companies are finding out is that the younger you are and the younger you get to a kid on your app or on your phone or whatever it is, the easier it becomes to be a lifelong addict for it. And it gets harder and harder as they grow up to ever get away from it which is better for them. So the people developing these things aren't allowing their kids to be on them. It should be a red flag. We have to understand our screens are influencing the way we think, and when it influences the way we think, it also influences what we do. And in church world, there's a word we would use for that. When something influences the way you think and also the way what you do, the word I would use for that is discipleship. For a lot of us, our screens are discipling us. They're discipling us whether we realize it or not. 
So the question that we're going to wrestle with throughout this entire series, the four-week series, is this. How is all of our screen time affecting us emotionally, relationally, mentally, and spiritually? Because it is affecting us all. And the answer cannot be, let's just get rid of it. Because we're past that. We have to have it, and it's not bad. We have to have it, and if we use it correctly, it can actually help us grow in our walk. The answer can't be just to get rid of it. But what is the answer? So this entire series is what we're going to talk about next week. I'm going to get very practical with you on things that we can all start doing right away to make sure that we are not allowing our screens to disciple us. The week after that, um, Pastor Brian Todd will be back. He's going to talk to you about the effects screens have on our um, mental state. And um, he preached uh, two months ago, and I've never gotten more feedback from a pastor preaching than when he preached. Everyone told me he was the best preacher they've ever heard, so you might want to be here for that. But I am coming back after that. You aren't getting rid of me, okay? It actually hurt my feelings how much everyone kept telling me. A month later, we had ownership class, and Christy, who was singing up here, her only question was, hey, I just want you to know that that pastor was great. I was like, okay, I get it, everybody. He was a good pastor. So you'll be here for week three, and then the last week we are going to talk about how um, we follow Jesus in a digital age. Throughout this series, we're going to be using um, two verses as our main verses. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, you can open those up too. So Romans chapter 12, and my homework for you this entire month is to take some time to memorize these two verses. Two verses that if you've been in church for a, long, for a while, you may already know these verses, but these are key verses for us to memorize. Romans chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 1. This is Paul talking. Paul says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. It says Paul says, I urge you. The reason why he urges us, he does not command us. The difference between commanding, I command you, compared to urge, is free will. You have a choice. No one's making you do this. You have a choice, a choice on whether you live for him or whether you don't. You will not be forced. But since you have a choice, Paul is urging you, hey, you should really think about doing this. You should really do this. In Romans chapter 1 through 11, our um, men's accountability group that um, reads every day, uh, we're re- reading Romans right now. Most of Romans, Romans 1 through 11, explaining who God is and how we follow him. And then we get to 12, and it says, therefore, because of everything I already said, chapters 1 through 11, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Catch that part. He didn't say in view of God's demands. He didn't say in view of God's wrath. He didn't say in view of God's anger. He isn't saying, listen, I urge you because if you don't do this, there's going to be a God up there as a God of karma, and he's going to strike you down if you do not do this. You need to make sure you do this because if you don't do this, he's going to come after you. He says, no, no, no. In view of God's mercy. This is so important for us to understand. They'll understand the difference because some of us have come from a background where the church you grew up in or the pastor that you used to to listen to, maybe even your parents or the people who are around you, they use fear and guilt and shame to talk to you about God. And their mindset, and they have been with best intentions, was to literally scare the hell out of you. That was their mindset. This isn't the God that we see through Jesus. Jesus never does that. And because of Jesus, Paul is telling us to view God in his mercy, in his mercy. You have to grasp this because whenever we talk about something that's personal to you, which our phones are very personal, whenever we talk about something personal to you, you need to understand it's not from wrath or fear. It's from his mercy. Because when we start getting personal, 
it's very easy for us to try to push back, to deflect, say, ah, God, no, no, this is, this is getting a little too personal. This is like hitting to home for me. So we have to understand that we have a God who loves you, who sacrificed for you, who knows what you deserve, just like what I deserve, which is death. The penalty of sin is death. He knows what you deserve, but you get mercy instead. So when that God, the God who loves you so much that he gave everything to save you for the chance for you to meet him, to be in a relationship with him, when that God says, I want you to do this because it's better for you, when you understand it in mercy, we're more likely to listen. If you understand it in fear and trembling and anger, you might not listen as much. But the God who sent his son for you, who knows what's best for you, that God is coming into your personal life. That is a God we should surrender in, in view of his mercy. Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. The audience listening to this would have caught that, living sacrifice. Because in the Old Testament, if you read the Old Testament, every time you sinned, you had to sacrifice something. A sacrifice was required every time you did something wrong. Maybe a burnt offering, it may be a sin offering, but it was always a sacrifice of something dead. You would take your grain or you would take an animal, you'd put it on the altar, and you'd either burn it or kill it. That's what you would do. Every time you did something wrong against God, you had to have a sacrifice that was a dead sacrifice. Paul says, listen, we're no longer doing dead sacrifices anymore. Because Jesus came, he was the ultimate sacrifice. He paid for all of our sins. And because of that, we now live every day as a sacrifice to him. It's a living sacrifice. That everything you do, you give back to him. You're every day eating sleeping, drinking, working, day-to-day life is a living sacrifice that we are offering up to God. Or you're every day scrolling, swiping, texting, liking, downloading is a living sacrifice that you're offering up to God. Paul urges us to take every single aspect of our life and offer it to him. This has to be our starting point. When you talk about anything that's personal, it has to be our starting point in our life. In view of God's mercy, offer your screen time as a living sacrifice. In view of God's mercy, offer your financial life as a living sacrifice. In view of God's mercy, offer your sexual life as a living sacrifice. It is saying, I'm not going to pick and choose what I offer to God. He asked for all of it and every aspect that I'm going to give it. I'm not going to pick and choose. Um, Between 1096 and 1291, the Crusades happened. If you know history, you may know a little bit about it. The Crusades were a series of religious wars between Christians and Muslims that started primarily to secure control of holy sites that were considered sacred to both groups. And it's estimated that between two and six million people died during the Crusades, and it's considered a black eye in the history of the church. The Christian warriors, known as the Knights Templar, they would get baptized before they'd go out to war. And they would have this routine that they would all do that they would um, go to get baptized, and before they put them down, they would take their swords and lift it in the air. And they would baptize them with their swords in the air. And this is what they were saying. You can have me, but what I do on the battlefield is not for you, God. You can have all of me, but what I do with this sword is not for you. I'm going to be baptized in every aspect of my life, but this one is what I'm going to do. And I'm curious if we do the same thing. Like maybe for some of us, we get baptized and we hold up our wallet. So God, you can have every aspect but this one, because I earned this. I'm going to give you what I can give you. I'm going to give you when I can, 
but you can have everything else, but not this. I know in, in, in the Bible it's very clear that I should tithe. I know Jesus talks about money more than he talks about any topic by far, but you can't have this part. No, no, I'm going to keep that. Or maybe we, we hold up our, our time, we hold up our watch, be like, God, you can have every aspect of my life but my time. Like, I will spend time with you when I have time. I'll come to church on Sundays when I have time. But everything else is yours, but not my time because I'm a busy person. Or maybe for some of us, we get baptized holding up our screens. To God, you can have me, but who I am online and what I do online and what I look at online, it's my business. What I consume, what I contribute, what I message, what I comment, this isn't part of the deal, God. God doesn't want part of you. He wants all of you. A living sacrifice. He wants you to offer your entire body as a living sacrifice. And then Paul continues in verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. He uses two words here that, that stick out to me. Versus conform. As in you are reflecting what you see. You are reflecting what is being downloaded into you. Conforming happens naturally. You don't have to try to conform. You just do it. You're just around something long enough. You will eventually conform to what it is. You're around it long enough. You take it in enough. You will eventually conform to it. That's the first word I noticed. But then he also said transformed. Being transformed is different. Transforming takes intentionality. It takes effort. It takes being deliberate in what comes in and what doesn't. Um, losing weight, the concept of it, is not a hard concept. I can tell you how you lose weight. It's, it's not super hard. You work off more calories than you take in, and the calories you bring in need to be good calories. There's such thing as bad calories. Just because cal there's some bad calories. That's how you lose weight, right? But all of us in the room have struggled losing weight at times, right? You know why? It's not because the concept's not not a hard concept. It's just it's hard to do. It's so much easier just to eat whatever you want to eat, whatever you feel like. It's so much easier to just do whatever you want to do. It's so much more convenient and easy. In order to lose weight, you have to read labels. You have to watch what you eat. You've got to make sure you work out. You have to be intentional about what you put in, about what you consume, about what you do in life, and then your body will start to transform. If you are not intentional, you just start to conform to whatever you put in your body. That's what's going to happen. And I wonder how many of us simply conform to whatever our screens tell us instead of being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Being conformed by whatever some person in Silicon Valley decides that you want to see, whatever some algorithm decides that you need to see, whatever some algorithm decides is going to make you click it so they can get more money and just newsflash, you know what makes you click things more than anything? Fear. Your Facebook and your Instagram and your Twitter knows your political opinions, and they know when they give you fear with your political opinions, you're going to click it. And every time you click it, they get money. So wonder how many of us are just being conformed to whatever Facebook tells us or Twitter or whatever else anything else tells us instead of being transformed by the renewing of our mind, being intentional about it. Tristan Harris um, used to be a programmer in Google before he left and started an organization called Time Well Spent. And there's a quote that I think is crucial for us to hear. It'll be up on the screen as well. It says, these things, he's referring to screens, these things are a slot machine. Every time I check my phone, I'm wondering, what did I get? The developers want to shape the thoughts, feelings, and actions of people. They want you to use it in a particular way and for long periods of time because that's how they make their money. The idea 
should be that these things make the best use of our time, not just constantly grabbing our attention and distracting us. This is what our screens are designed to do. Take our attention away from one thing to give it to them. The CEO of Netflix is quoted saying that um, their biggest competitions are Facebook, YouTube, and sleep. That's their biggest competition. And here's the question that we're gonna wrestle with throughout this entire series. Am I being conformed or transformed? Which one am I being? Am I being conformed or transformed? Because when you are being transformed by the renewing of your mind, rather than being conformed by what the world offers, or by what our, as we see on our screens. Then Paul says, when you're being transformed by the renewing of your mind, then Paul says you will able to test and approve the will of God.